0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our second episode of Season 2. Uh, today, I'm being joined by someone I've known for several years, uh, Mary Dickow. Uh She is recognized as a national voice in leadership development for nurses and on leadership uh, in healthcare. Uh, Mary serves as a director of statewide initiatives for Health Impact, California's Nursing Workforce Center, uh, she also serves as Director of Leadership Development uh, for the Organization for Associate Degree in Nursing, where she focuses on leadership, academic progression, and interprofessional education. Uh, Mary has a long history working with the University of California, San Francisco, including 15 years with Health Force Center, where uh, she serves as the Deputy Director for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Executive Nurse Fellows Program. She continues to serve in a faculty role. Uh, for the Masters of Science Healthcare Administration and Interprofessional Leadership Program at UCSF. In 2014, uh, Mary was inducted as an Honorary Fellow of the American Academy of Nursing, and we'll explain why the Honorary in a little bit. And she serves as president of the Chin Family Institute for Nursing Board of Directors as a member of Chelsea's HOPE Board and was a member of the 2010 Cohort of Leadership America. Mary holds a master's in public administration from the University of San Francisco and serves on their School of Management Advisory Committee. Welcome to the show, Mary. And I'm so glad to have you on on the show.
1: Thank you, Ali. It's my pleasure to be here today.
0: And, and and I said, I'm going to say why you're a fellow. You, uh, as I mentioned, I've talked to you a few minutes ago. As I mentioned, I did not, I have always assumed that you are an RN. You are just uh, such a force in the nursing uh, profession. I just assumed you are an RN. Uh, but that is not the case. And I want to really talk about that. How did you get involved with nursing? And where did you, uh, like you, you're, you, you're a powerhouse in the, in the nursing world.
1: thank you. You're too kind. Um, But I will say I am a staunch advocate for the profession and always have been. And I think that's what propelled my journey into nursing. Um, It was not a direct path. I never said, I'm going to set out and work in the field of nursing because I have something to offer. I actually uh, was in the hospitality and restaurant industry for 11 years. but I wanted to be a chef. (laughs) <laughs> and so and so, um, out of necessity, um, in my personal life, I'm married to a professional musician. And we um, had a family and it came to that point where we said, you know, some, somebody's got to find some healthcare for this family. As you know, <laughs> healthcare is tied to employment. So I was fortunate enough to um, find a job at the University of California in San Francisco. Um, and <clears throat> while I was at UCSF, I moved around. I was working on the grants side of the house, so in the controller's office, and I was fascinated by some of the research and grant opportunities that UCSF um, was given and the work they were doing. And in that process, I would talk to people on the phone all the time about their invoicing, et cetera, and met a gentleman who asked me if I wanted to come work for him. And that was my first foray into the health side of things. And I worked on a project called Health of the Public, that married academic health centers and community health centers across the nation and started to get exposed to how does health happen in in communities. And that project was funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which led to another relationship, right? So my whole career has been based on these incredible opportunities and relationships because I'm a curious person. I asked a lot of questions and it got me places. So there's a story to this UCSF piece where uh, once I met this wonderful guy who became a mentor to me, he introduced me to who would become my then boss at the Center for Health Professions at UCSF, where I stayed for 15 years. In total, I was at UC for 27 years in a different variety of jobs, but that last job was solely focused on a leadership development program for nurses called the Robert Wood Johnson Executive Nurse Fellows Program, which uh, lasted about 20 years, 15 years at UCSF and then five plus years at the Center um, for um, Creative Leadership in North Carolina. And I stayed engaged with them during that time as well, and still actively involved with their alumni, a few of you who you've had on your program. So yes, yes. um, So that role um, in that process at UCSF, I had no clue about nursing except my mom was a nurse.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. I
1: always relished that. um, Her stories at the dinner table. Um, She was um, a strong public health nurse advocate. Um, So she raised us in a way that those kinds of things, community health and the equity of health access, et cetera, was very important in our family. Um, Again, still didn't drive me down a healthcare path until this particular program. Um, when we did our first round of applications for that for that Executive Nurse Fellowship, I was reading very high profile nurse leader applications from across the country. And I didn't know what BSN or FNP or AAN or any of those acronyms <laughs> meant. So my um, then boss, Ed O'Neill, the director of the center, introduced me to a wonderful um, colleague Jan Belak, who was then in South Carolina and eventually became the president of the Mass General Institute for Health Professions. She and I, from that year in 2007 till today, are dear friends and she has been my lifelong mentor. She really um, introduced me to the topic of nursing, the importance of understanding the roles in nursing, and um, through that network at UCSF, I was also able to work with Dr. Marilyn Chow and Dr. Shirley Chater, who are living legends in the Academy of Nursing. And um,
0: they those are. Three they
1: women are still uh, powerhouses in my life today.
0: They are. I, I, and, uh, um, and I've, I, you know, I work at, having, having worked at Kaiser, I had a chance to um, uh, meet and speak to Marilyn Chow multiple times, and I absolutely love her. And um, so, yes, absolutely. I agree. Um, so um, I didn't know I didn't know about your mom being a nurse. So that's that's uh. So you do have you do have a nurse connection. You just uh, it's just not <laughs> in a form of.
1: Yeah, well, I'll give you a little um another little piece of my history is that um I was a college dropout. Uh-huh. I went to community college for a couple of years and then uh, ran away with that wonderful musician that I married to and <laughs> I'm still together with after all these years. So it was a good thing. Um and so I'm a late bloomer. Um you mentioned that I had my MPA from USF, but I achieved that at the age of 51. And the interesting part about my journey at UCSF in a very highly um academic environment, um nobody questioned my (laughs) background. I came in and I was a go-getter. I just you know I was curious, I asked a lot of questions, I was very fortunate to meet people along the way that introduced me to the next thing. And um, it wasn't until uh, around 2004 that uh, I was looking at a new role and I needed to have a master's degree and I didn't even have a bachelor's degree. So at that point, I went back to school at 48.
0: Wow. That's yeah. amazing. That, uh, and that's fantastic. Cause I have so many, I mean, even for myself, I spent 10 years in the military before I decided to go back to school. Uh, and, you know, going back to school, uh, even at, even at 28 and I, I, I didn't stop till a few years ago where I got my PhD. It, it was difficult being, uh, being, um, uh, older than some of the people that was, I was in class with, because there's, there's so there's so much difference, and uh, I know I have like students that come back uh, as a second career, and I think we're seeing a lot more of that right. now with nursing, with people coming into nursing as a second career because it is a very stable. Um, a profession where you can make decent money in and people, you know, genuinely do for the most part, like caring for other people. So I think it's uh, it's a natural progression for a lot of people, but uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing that, um, that uh, so many people are coming back or go back to school and that opportunity actually exists. That's not, that's not an international opportunity. I know in some countries, especially like, like I'm originally from, from Iran, you, you never hear about people going back to school in Iran later in life. It's either you do it after high school or you just don't do not do it a lot of times. so
1: I, I think we're very fortunate that um, there are multiple pathways. Yes. Right? And no one journey is the same. And we all have our reasons why we start or stop when we do or we decide later in life that, wow, I really never thought about going to college and now I want to. So I, I think I really value my role on the alumni um, group at at my alma mater, USF, the other San Francisco University. And um and I also um am a very active mentor. I think the three women I mentioned earlier who were uh really important mentors in my life um helped shape that for me in the importance of how do you mentor others and how do you help others find their path and see their journey. Um, you mentioned that I'm also involved with the Organization for Associate Degree Nursing. I have a very strong passion for that ADN to BSN and beyond pathway. Um, right. So how do we encourage um, all of our students to think about, okay, this me- your journey may feel unorthodox or different than someone else's, but it's your journey. And, right. and how do we as educators support them along that way?
0: Right. Uh, and I was, you know, up until uh, maybe uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, very adamant. And I think just came from, I want to say it came from my own ignorance, uh, adamant that BSN should be the entry level into the profession. You know, that's kind of what you get. You get fed that so much in the profession. Uh, but, then, but then I started doing a little bit of homework and talking to people. I'm like, we are... By saying this, we're really disenfranchising a large group of people that really can only get into the profession through the ADN program. And we're just shooting ourselves in the foot when we start saying things like higher levels of entry into the profession, because it really is a profession that gives people a step up. In society and allows them to make, you know, a decent wage and be able to pull themselves up through, you know, out of poverty and so many, uh, I mean, I've, I've spoke to multiple students and I'm so glad. And you're familiar with Cal State LA where I teach and you're on the, uh, on the Chin Family uh, Institute. Uh, uh, So uh, so I, you know, I right now I teach. I'm, I have a group of leadership students that are ADN to BSN, and uh, and so many of them are such fantastic individuals, and they would have not gone into the profession if it hadn't been for that ADN program being present. So, uh, so super supportive of the ADN programs, and I love the fact that we do have an ADN to BSN because I don't think it should be a terminal degree. That's, that's where I kind of draw the line. I don't think the ADN should be a terminal degree because there's so much more. I think people, those individuals can contribute by having that higher degree and, you know, becoming. It really does make a difference, I think, at some point.
1: Right, and when, we, really, we do have a lot of strong programs in um, California. And you mentioned uh, Cal State LA, where um, I had the privilege of working with Lori Judson and her team when we did the Academic Progression and Nursing Project. and um, and now, under the, the current director, Gail Washington, that program is still running strong yes. and taking uh, students from 13 different community colleges into the BSN track seamlessly. So within a year of their um, ADN, they graduate with the BSN. Um, with programs like that, um, we have another great program in um, at Riverside Community College that partners with two Cal State um, universities. And... Um, that's a true concurrent program where they're dually enrolled at the same time so that they graduate and providing these opportunities for students. A lot of students didn't know these things existed. And I think that's been part of my mission. And I know it's been part of your mission because we've been on panels together, um, to talk to students about you're all, we're all in this room together and let us show you some of the ways, where do you want to go? That's the question. Right not here's what it has to be because the profession designates it, but what's, what's your desire? What, what is your, what are your goals? Um, and I, um, I know, um, like I said, because we have, um, presented together on a couple of occasions, um, we share that passion. And, uh, I, I think, um, I tease my mom all the time while she probably would have loved for me to become a nurse, um, I was terrible at math and science, so I, it, I had huge fears of <laughs> going down that path. But I found a different way of supporting the profession and being directly involved in encouraging those um, considering it or who are currently in the profession about where do they where do they see themselves five years, ten years down the road. So um, I think that's great. But I will say, um, because you touched on the future um, of nursing as well um, working, uh, with the action coalitions, um, for as long as I did, um, and, and still, still involved with, um, we, we had a goal to increase the number of BSNs in the country, um, to, uh, 80% by 2020. Well, we didn't meet that goal, but we really moved the needle and I have a, a long-standing joke with Dr. Susan Hass Miller, who uh, oversees that program at Robert Wood Johnson, that I could do that in my own family. So since the IOM report came out, um, I have sisters, sister-in-laws, nieces, nephews, um, cousins who have all gone into nursing. And I'm not oh, saying wow. I'm fully responsible, but I should. <laughs> and now my. Um, Latest gra- high school graduate niece just enrolled in a nursing program. And so uh, I, I'm going to do the 80% by 2020 in my family.
0: <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. I know, we, I know the, the goal for the doctoral program was met. Yes. Uh, by doubling the number of doctorally, doctorally prepared. And actually, the IO, I've said this, I think, in previous podcasts. Uh, the IOM report, the 2010 IOM and the Future of Nursing Report, was actually responsible for me going into a PhD program. Because I said, I want to do something towards this. (laughs) I'm like, what can I do? And I started like talking to my wife, and it wasn't until a couple years later where she's all like, okay, if you're going to do this, go do it now. And I'm like, okay, done. I'm like, I I, pretty much registered on the spot when she said that. Uh, So, yeah, absolutely. So um, so while we're talking about this, how did you get involved Uh, with the uh, IOM report, the 2010 report, which, uh, you know, you were uh, a huge influence, at least I know in California, that's how I originally got to know you is I knew you were involved with the with the Action Coalition.
1: Right. Well, um, that's a great question. And again, it goes back to relationships. So California was in a unique position as one of the first five states to have Action Coalitions. Um, And those were directly um, decided by uh, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and AARP as the first sort of the inaugural states that they thought had a lot going on. California had a lot going on, um, and as did the other four states that they selected. As We weren't pilots. We were demonstrations of of how you can now start to advance based on the uh, major recommendations set forth in the Future of Nursing Report, how can you take what you've already started to grow and really advance it at a statewide level? Um, And it goes back to the fact that um, a few of us in the state of California had direct relationships with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. So there was this outreach that happened. And would you volunteer? Would you be involved? So um, because UCSF had a strong relationship and I was working there at the time, I volunteered along with a few others. And Marilyn Chow was um, asked to be our lead as a nurse nursing leader in the state. And, um, and that's how it started to grow. It was like a little seedling that got planted and all of us were volunteering at the time. Um, and uh, shortly thereafter, uh, after going to a few national meetings and, and really getting my feet wet, I took a leap of faith. I well, as I said, I worked at UCSF for 27 years, but this action coalition thing was calling my name. There was something in there that said, "You know, you're really good at starting to look at projects or finding grants or or doing things that might uh, have a greater influence. Um, what if you left the safety of your great job and do what you tell everyone else?" take a leap. The safety net might not be there, but if you think it's the right thing, you got to jump. And so I went to the California nursing workforce center uh, now, um, formerly known as health impact or or currently known as health impact. And, um, and I was okay. Nothing happened. The world did not get (laughs) in. Uh, We wrote a grant and uh, funded my salary at a part-time level And I was able to take the lead on that because uh, we had a designated person to say, how can we build this coalition across the state of California? How can we develop the regional partnerships that are necessary in a state as geographically uh, and ethnically diverse as California is? You know, sometimes people don't realize just how big we are uh, and, uh, our current CEO, Garrett Chan, often he has some data that he uses where you can fit 27 New Jerseys in the state of California. You could fit, I don't know, 50 Rhode Islands in the state of California. And when you think about it that way, um, it starts to help you understand the enormous size and um, of our state. And we are we're a unique place. Uh, you know, California is one of those states that um, has unique politics. It has unique um geography it spans uh, an immense population of people and so um there it was and and um I'm still there I'm still at health impact uh still feel like we are making a huge difference in the state of California uh, we are um, neutral conveners which makes uh, these growing of the partnerships that are so important to moving the needle in California um, That is what we do very well. And I'm very fortunate that our current CEO is extremely supportive of all that work.
0: That's fantastic. Um, Now, I know um, the 2020-2030 report is coming out and uh, having talked to Dr. Susan Hasmiller uh she hinted as the at the fact that <clears throat> some states may, may not be coming along for the ride for the next report. and uh just hearing some of the talks and the uh sort of the town hall meetings that they've had around it and um uh, where where is California uh in uh, in partnership with that and uh, uh are we moving forward with it
1: so that's a really good question, um, and it is on top of our mind right now. Um, we actually spoke with the Center to Champion Nursing in America just yesterday, um, and you're you're right. Um, there's a there's something that happened within the action coalitions, and while California was identified. All the other action coalitions that came on after the first five applied to be action coalitions, and then had to kind of state, "Here's what we're going to work on. Here's here's our charter. Here's here's our um, investment in these eight major recommendations that came out in the first report." Um, and then the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation took a significant pivot to the culture of health, um, and it while the uh, the campaign. Um, And the Center for Nursing sit at AARP. Robert Wood Johnson is a direct partner with that. So a lot of influence comes out of um, their shop and saying, like, here's something you should work on. And of course, everyone believes a culture of health, health equity, access to uh, quality care is extremely important. And nurses touch on all of that. But for many of us, um, we are nursing workforce centers. So our dedication is to the nursing workforce. And while again, nurses influence that culture of health, um, creating the the best nursing workforce and paying attention to the policies and regulations and other things that nursing workforce centers uh, look at across the profession in their state. Um, it's sort of a, a little bit of a one-off. So there was this transition that happened in culture of health. And um, quite frankly, Action Coalition's got confused. Well, what mm. are we focusing on? First, we have these eight recommendations. Now you've given us this framework with four major uh, areas that we're supposed to focus on. And uh, you've heard me talk about this once or twice where I can connect those dots, but within the body of our 501c3, uh, our nonprofit in California, is, is that in our mission and vision? Right. And do we have the partnerships and support for that? So there's there's this transition period that's happening. It was happening. It's going to happen again because we haven't seen the exact outline for that 2020, 2030. But like you, I've been in some of those conversations where you're hearing you hearing these things like, it's going to be culture of health. It's going right. to- Uh, health equity. Uh, I am sure we are going to touch on the hot topics right now of how do you work in a pandemic and racism and, and the systemic issues that are happening across healthcare and, and our education systems, et cetera. So, um, so it's, it, a lot of us are in this wait and see, but see what happens. The, the report got delayed because of the COVID crisis. Right. We were, we should be, have seen it by now and we would be celebrating next month, the launch of it. Um, and that's been moved to the spring. So uh, th- that's what's happening. And I've talked to a few of my colleagues across the country, and we're all we're all just kind of in that sort of wait and see mode. Let's let's hear what they have to say, and then how does it fit with the work that we currently do?
0: And that was the thing. I think just having talked to Dr. Hasmiller and hearing the conversation that has been going around this, I, I was wondering how. Uh, it was going to translate to the workforce uh, because it sounded, for me, it, a lot of it sounded like a sort of a call to action. Like now you have progressed with the degrees and the education and things like that. You have sort of, and you're still continuing to develop the workforce, but where, how, how do we uh, like uh, um, optimize that workforce? So it's making an impact into the community and how do you connect the dots? So that's where I was uh I also had a question. So yes, I'm also eagerly waiting for the next report to come out and see, uh, see what I, they're asking.
1: I think one, during our conversation yesterday, one of the things that became clear is um, this will require developing some new relationships and new partnerships in the state. And um, so that's where we'll go next to health impact. We'll start exploring some of those opportunities.
0: That's fantastic. Um, so, uh, I want to talk uh, a little bit more about, uh, things that have happened in California in the last like 24 hours, <laughs> which I'm sure had a lot, many years uh, behind it. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, several bills got passed in California as a direct, uh, uh work of uh, people like yourself, um, that, um, as part of, I guess, not, I guess, but as part of the future nursing report that all of this kind of got started. Um, So uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the bills that the governor signed yesterday and where we are with. uh, with Um,
1: So uh, over the last week, three bills have been signed, actually, maybe a little over more than a week, but about a week. Um, And so the first bill that was signed was SB 1237. Which gave nurse midwives their full scope of practice um, or an intentional better scope of practice. Um, and, um, and then last night, he signed AB 890, which is the nurse practitioner scope of practice uh, bill that had been moved forward. And then AB 2288, which is the um, simulation in disasters for pre licensure schools. Uh, This was a really big deal because um, during a crisis, when students are potentially locked out of their clinical um, rotations because of either shutdown, corporate decisions, lack of PPE, you name it, um, there are a million reasons. It's not because our practice partners don't value our students and want them in their doors. There's there's other factors at play. Um, And we as a state um we're not even up to the national standards on simulation allowance so this this uh particular um bill gives us um a waiver to allow for that um higher uh, simulation up to 50% um during a crisis or pandemic situation which is the absolute right thing to do because students still need to progress their education. We can't just stop them in their tracks. So um, that was a really uh, a, a great thing, and um, very happy that got signed. But on the two scope of practice bills, you're correct. Um, so when I started with the Action Coalition in in 2010, um, we were already in the fight. It wasn't like this is because we had an action coalition or because the future of nursing said it should be so. Uh, California was working on that. And for the entire time I've been involved with health impact, that was a focus. Um, Our uh, CEO Garrett Chan had me um, help lead a APRN coalition. So we built a coalition Um, at that time in the early days, he was a member of the coalition and when he came on board as a CEO. He made that a priority. We will work harder. We will look at these uh, policy issues in our state and we will keep this coalition strong. And, um, and how, how do we help them understand the importance of advocacy? Not that they weren't doing it, but really we had to ramp it up because we'd been in this battle for years of, we had a bill, it, didn't make it we had a bill it didn't make it you know so um,
0: I remember I remember so many bills went up and they just did not make it through right so yeah
1: and, um, and I learned a hard lesson in that because I was not on that side of the house around po- uh, so invested in policy when the then senator who was um, uh, running that bill said Mary don't be too discouraged this is politics not policy you keep fighting the policy fight, right? Right. And uh, we're very fortunate. Our APRN coalition is a strong group uh, and it is the four advanced practice groups. um, And it was not easy getting everyone on the same page in the beginning, but it's one of those things where we just kept growing it and in the end they became such supporters for each other. So no matter whose bill was moving forward, let's all get behind that because the high tide floats all boats, right? So um, their work over this year, I would um, commend uh, Garrett Chan and Dr. Um, Susie Phillips from UC Irvine, who were uh, really the leads on this. Um, And and then the members of that coalition, which is uh, basically the presidents and the legislative directors of all the um, advanced practice um, associations in our state. Um, Phenomenal work the amount of work (laughs) went into these last few weeks even um, to make sure it got signed. Um, They are, they were incredible to work with.
0: That that's, 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 it's it's awesome to hear uh, that, uh, that groups kind of put all their eggs in one basket and said, let's move forward with this because that's one of the, uh, I think sometimes we, we uh, again, shoot ourselves in the foot because we're, pulling in different directions when their goals are the same. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so it's fantastic. I, I was excited. Uh, I'm not a nurse practitioner by trade. So I was excited to hear, I'm so excited to hear, uh, that these things uh, did get moved f- forward because it really speaks to the profession and the profession's ability to provide care for a population that really is underserved. And we know nurse practitioners serve an underserved population. Right. Um, so, um, so it's great to hear, uh, to hear it's, the news about is, this.
1: And, um, There's, I mean, um, there was a lot of happy dancing going on last night. And this morning, um, I mentioned when we were just first connecting that, uh, before this, before the podcast, that there has been a lot of congratulatory emails coming into my inbox. And again, this is a huge team effort, um, you know, I have a very small part in just making sure we all stayed on the same page and that I conducted monthly calls and made sure everyone had all the right information. But those people on, the, on that coalition um, really drove it home. Uh, so it, it's just a very exciting time for us in California. Um, and, but I think that's, that's the way um, I've always seen it. Uh, the profession when I first got involved uh, at the national and, and, of course, the state level, um, felt very divided to me. Um, people people put themselves in camps and, you know, certain jobs were better than other jobs or certain degrees were better than other degrees. And I would think, man, we have near 4 million, um, or sorry, sorry um, yeah, th- uh, almost 4 million nurses in the country. Right. What if every one of those nurses spoke with one voice? I mean, we'd be unstoppable. Right. Absolutely. So, um, and it's the same in California. We have the largest number of nurses in the nation in our state. And um, if if we could just come to some understanding and agreement of working together, this is the first time I've really seen that start to gel in a way that you can see drove significant change in our state. So um, I have. I remain optimistic. I am a very much a Pollyanna by by nature. (laughs) Uh, And people sometimes say, don't you get tired? Yeah, I do. And sometimes I feel like I'm banging my head into the wall. But (laughs) end of the day, I believe nursing is where the difference will happen in healthcare. That nursing has the full potential background, training, trust of the public to move that agenda. And nurses are in every community. You know, to your point that nurse practitioners often are in the underserved communities. We might not even have a physician in a in a certain geographic or mileage area where we have a nurse practitioner that could easily uh, transform the health of that community. And now that that we have some changes in the law, uh, that can start to really come to fruition.
0: Right, Uh, and like uh, specifically these bills, a couple of people came out and you know they started saying that nurse practitioners have full scope and uh, or so, I mean, this definitely does expand their scope as to what it was before. How much work do we really need to have uh, done? Because I don't think this we're, we're done with this.
1: Well, we're not sort
0: of, we're not done.
1: And, and, you know, there was a moment in time a couple of years back where um, there wasn't a lot of support for California to consider something that was slightly different than full scope. Or that every box we wanted got checked off the way we wanted. Uh, And then you realize that in a state like California, you you don't take what you can get. You fight for the good fight. And you you say, this is actually a very decent bill. And we're going to support this 100%. Because... Then you just move. Then you start to advocate for the next change or the next incremental difference that you can make. Um, I know uh, other states, big states like Texas, took that um, avenue and it has served them well. This will serve us very well. And, yes. and then we are in constant, I mean, the conversations haven't stopped, even though things, it got signed. The, the conversations this morning and, and last night on email were okay, now on to the next step. Right?
0: <laughs> right. Um,
1: and it's, it's great. It's great to see that enthusiasm
0: yeah and i think you and i uh before we started recording talked about uh being excited to see the color of california change from whatever that gray tone was yeah. to something yeah. else that we have actually made some progress uh towards uh uh towards this uh, uh again it's very exciting news uh congratulations to you the team everybody that's that's worked on these bills i think uh i think we're definitely moving in the right direction um how much do you think um uh, the pandemic played a role in getting this uh, signed off or, or pushing this forward because I know some scope of barrier stuff nationally got removed uh, from many, many States said, you know, do your thing because we're short people, which then, you know, brought up the question of, well, if it's good during a pandemic, why is it not good during any other time? Right. If it's safe during a pandemic, why is it not good and safe any other time for nurse practitioners to to play so do you think the pandemic helped push us through
1: i think the pandemic created a silver lining i do yeah. um i think we were ready and the governor was ready and other players in the state i think the um pandemic allowed for a significant amount of new information and influence in the legislature um the the Coalition members and other nursing associations in the state really came together over this pandemic. Uh, Health Impact created a COVID-19 task force that was fierce, I mean fierce. It was amazing to see what got done in a very short window of time. And when you think about like, if we can all come together like that and and push this agenda because it was critical in this time of crisis, to your point, why would we ever go back? Why can't we say like we're going to continue this effort? Um, I look at some of the other changes for, because of COVID. Um, the fact that we're not in a recording studio, to, studio together does not uh, do keep us from having this podcast, right? Right. Because we have figured out ways to do things virtually, um, and in some cases, I think that won't change. I think we're we're actually doing business better. But I think the this is the year of the nurse. We saw this year as the biggest year of celebration um, and the pandemic came in and instead of wiping that out, it just made us pivot and re- rethink, okay, so how do we celebrate the year of the nurse in with disruption all around us? How do we show nursing leadership in crisis? And that's what I think happened in California and the stories started to emerge more and more and more and um, you could not not see it. Right, uh, but but I do still think hard work is what paid off in the end for these things to move forward.
0: That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, um, I don't know how much more I can t- say about this, but uh, yeah, I was I was excited to see the uh, see the news that the governor had signed off uh, uh, s- signed off on this.
1: And so I just think now that what ha- needs to happen is nursing needs to continue to step up, need to p- be present at every table every decision-making table because um, you you can see now that by going in and telling stories and bringing in real life situations um, into this, into this, from this crisis, into this discussion, um, changed people's minds. Yep. Um, and that's how we're going to continue to develop those strong leaders that we need for healthcare in this country, not just California, but the country at large and nurses. Um, I said it earlier. You're just uniquely qualified to lead this charge. Um,
0: so I have, so I do have. You know, just going a little bit off of this. Um, so, for somebody who's not, um, uh, who's not, for example, involved with with the world of nursing outside of their, let's say, their seven to seven job or nine to five job, whatever it is. Uh, what would you say? How would? What's probably the best way for somebody who. Wants to perhaps get involved because, unfortunately, I see it with a lot of uh, 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 people I know, nurses I know, that are just not involved with the profession of nursing. It's a you know they're involved with their job, they do what they need to do, they're excellent, you know, uh, bedside nurses or nurse managers or what have you, but they're just not involved with the profession, right? And this is where kind of where it's it's a little bit different. Um, how do what would somebody? Well, i guess two questions um, what would be a pathway for somebody to get involved and more take a more active role uh, and my other question would be how do we encourage people who may not be uh, willing participants in in the profession of nursing how do we bring their voice to the table because i think their voice is just as important because they have experience and have lived experience uh, sure. that i think we would benefit from
1: so i really glad you brought that up because one of the messages i have in my wheelhouse that has never changed from the minute I got involved with the profession um, and had this real luxury of working with senior nurse leaders across the country and hearing how they're thinking and hearing how they change things and even hearing how they didn't necessarily always see themselves as the leaders. Um, and so there was this this whole thing around how do we um, ensure that Nursing understands they are the leaders. From the day you enter nursing school, you're a leader. Um, And you and I have talked to students over the years uh, where we're bringing that message home. Like every step of the way, you're a leader at the bedside. You're a leader in your unit. You're a leader if you're in the C-suite. You're a leader in a public health department. You're a leader in corrections. Wherever nursing sits, Um, you are a leader on that team of people that provide that that care. Um and so you you touched on this. How do you get involved? My advice is everyone needs to get involved. So um and I've always pitched that. Um, so join your professional organization. Join where you can join your um your unit leadership team, join your um, hospital council, whatever's happening within your practice site, join your chapter of, a, of an organization like the Association for California Nurse Leaders. You know, I'm an active member of certain nursing organizations as a non-nurse and I tell everyone you should be here. These meetings are fantastic. And this is where you get to network. This is where you learn some of the things um, I um, really encourage my colleagues who teach. Tell your students, this is, you've got to start with your students. Um, There are student discounts for every organization. Um, And they're very reasonable because we want to encourage students to see themselves like, this is your home now. This is where you're going to get comfortable. This is, this is part of your leadership journey. Um, And then, um, so you can join professional organizations. I say, serve where you can. If, you know, we have the Nurses on Boards Coalition in the country now that spun out of the uh, some work on leadership in the future of nursing report. And, and um, there are many, many places nurses can serve from your uh, local school PTA to, you know, you don't have to be at the Capitol. You can have influence in many places, right in your own backyard that doesn't take you away from your family, friends, job, whatever. Um, and then um, I say, find a mentor it was the mentors I had that spurred me on to say, well, what if you tried this or "Or have you thought about? And um, mentorship is such a beautiful two-way street. Uh, As a mentor myself, I learned so much from the students or colleagues that I uh, work with. Um, I have seen the mentees that I had through the ACNL Life Moxie program, just shoot up the ladder. Like I I am so impressed with, with where they have gone. And I don't think that's just me. I think that's just exposing them things that they hadn't thought to take advantage of or didn't realize they even had strengths in sometimes. Um, So we all have that responsibility. That's my mantra. We have a responsibility to those that we serve and use our voice to uh, ensure that everyone can live a healthier and more productive life. And that's where I see nursing making the difference.
0: And uh, I, I love that advice, uh, just because I think it, it is so important. And one of the reasons I actually started as podcast was because uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't always able to get in touch with the people I think I needed to talk to, or and it just uh, I always tell other people sometimes I think this podcast is more for me than anybody else because it gives me about an hour with people I would normally not. Give me an hour to talk to, <laughs> so it's an opportunity to really uh, learn, and I, and I think I've learned a lot from everybody uh, that I've had had the uh, pleasure of speaking to. Um, but it is, I, I think it's, but it's, it's I think it's harder I, as I talk to more and more people, and I hear the impact and the importance of uh, mentorship. And I know Dr. Montalvo Which you know, uh, she she speaks of it as sponsorships. How do we sponsor nurses? And I love that idea as well. Um, uh, Of how do we do that? And do we have uh, do our nurse leaders sort of say uh, have the have the capability of providing that. And I think it's hard because as a new, somebody who's a new nurse or somebody new into the profession, I think it's difficult for them to go and speak to somebody in in an official leadership position or somebody that's been in the uh, profession for a while and ask them to be, mentor. I did that several times because I did that in my military career. It sort of came along with it. The people I worked for automatically sort of almost became my mentors. Uh, But when I came into the civilian sector and nobody like offered that up and I actually went to some people and I said, would you be my mentor? And like some of them literally said and even though they were in executive roles said, oh, I've never done that before. And it was like, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not not sure if I can teach you how to, you know. Uh, So, but yeah, but I think it's something that's important when you mentioned, so the ACNL, I know uh, the American Nurses Association, there's local chapters of various nursing organizations that have, even even at Cal State LA, I know our alumni network has a mentorship program. So there are avenues, and I'm not sure people understand that uh, all these organizations have uh, mentorship uh, opportunities, and I think that's important for people looking for mentorship.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, when I work with my students in the um, MS Hale uh, Health Administration Interprofessional Leadership Program at UC. I they one of the res- uh, responsibilities they have is to find a mentor um, and and use that mentor to help with their capstone and and their leadership development, etc. And uh, many people are don't know how to do that or are or, or afraid to ask or don't feel confident enough that someone's going to spend time with them. But what I have found is every time I've been asked, I am more than happy. I'm excited when someone, and I said, really, you think you can learn something from me? You know, <laughs> you know so I, I, um, I, I think most mentors or most people that you see as a potential mentor, or even just uh, an informational interview to get at something that you want to learn about, um, they're happy to be asked. They're excited to be asked. Um, They they might in a moment be too busy for that meeting, but but persist and say, it's really important to me and I value your role. I value your contribution, whatever that is. And I, I really would appreciate a conversation with you. And nine times out of 10, the door does not get shut. It actually swings open. And more to your point, oh, I've never been asked um really okay well what an honor you know so um and there's little tips and tricks you can ask them for coffee we can't really do that right now but there's <laughs> to do um but in this time of virtual meetings sometimes they're more available at least that's what i'm finding when i check back with students um because they don't have to find a time to go formally meet um they can pick up a phone and do something in 15 minutes
0: Right, and I think yeah, the, these virtual meetings have been sort of normalized uh, as a result of the of the pandemic. Because, uh, like I said, uh, sometimes you know I'm like, oh, I guess I'll see you at the next conference next year, <laughs> because otherwise we're we would be on two different sides of the size of the uh, right. of the country. So, uh so yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's definitely a, a plus of some of the normalizations and the times that now I'm no longer traveling anywhere. Uh, So it becomes much more uh, sort of manageable uh, to, um, to provide some time. And I agree. And I think that I think, like I said, I think the most, uh, one of the things I always tell my students, um, or anybody that's really asked, is uh, be persistent with the individual, because it's, it should be really the mentee's priority, uh, for to for that experience. And I think the mentor uh, would, I mean, their priority is definitely make themselves available and see how they can uh, um, sponsor or, you know, help that individual. But one of the things, I think one of the biggest mistakes mentees make, they wait for the mentor to reach out or for the mentor to initiate a conversation. And when it doesn't happen, it, you know, then they're like, oh, I guess they're not interested where I think there needs to be a little bit of role reversal of, and people becoming comfortable with uh, reaching out and uh, um, just making those opportunities available for themselves. Because I, like like you mentioned, a lot of mentors do want to help and assist and um, really are looking for people to reach out to them. So thank you for that. Sure. Um, just uh, before, before we end our time together, uh, any advice for, uh, for the world of nursing, just because you have a, I think you have a, you have a unique perspective, uh, uh, when it comes to nursing, uh, like, how do we, what do we need to do next? Uh, I mean, I know you mentioned a few things already, uh, like if it was a one to-do list, uh, for every nurse listening, uh, to the podcast, what would that be?
1: Oh, that's a big challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, I appreciate that you see the unique lens that someone like me views the world. Um, I am a a staunch advocate. I love the partnership with the profession. uh, And there are more of us. So one thing, um, I have a couple colleagues that um, about two years ago, we did a talk on why non-nurses are the, your best friend, um, and uh, it was really eye-opening to the audience about the lens we bring and the work we've been doing for our entire, most of our careers. Uh, people like like me in the world, and there are me- there are a number of us. And um, so I say, find them because they often help you see the other side of something. Mm. Um, B.J. Bartelson at the California Hospital Association. Uh, we were working on something one, one year, uh, a few years back. And I said, can you put that in English for me or something like that? I want to, I want to understand it as a public member. I understand it because I'm involved with you, but as a public person, I wouldn't understand this graph and she changed the language. And, um, when she'd be out talking about it, she would give me credit for that. (laughs) And, um, And it wasn't just me. It's just if somebody else had looked at that, they probably would have said the same thing. Um, If you are partnering with someone who's not uh, not a nurse and yet very interested in advancing the profession. Um, And then I would just go back to something I said earlier about this, this responsibility that all nurses um, have or should have to um, using their voice. Your voice is unbelievable and uh, you know again year of the nurse most trusted profession uh there are so many ways you can use your voice and that is going to be the critical um you know piece in creating those healthier communities ensuring equitable access and in times like this with covid and um all the race issues in our country the voice has never been more powerful in in creating change
0: absolutely thank you for that um, anything else you want to share with our audience? No, Any I Hot, hot topic <laughs> for you. <laughs>
1: uh, oh, there's so much going on both in California and at the national level right now that, um, sometimes I think my head is spinning. The one fringe benefit of COVID is I'm not on a plane every week, but <laughs> <laughs> so I can sit in this office and, and try to make sense of it all. But, um, I just want to thank you so much for, um, having me on your show. I think uh, this RN mentor piece is uh, you heard me talk about mentorship a lot in my comments um, it's critical and I, I applaud you for advancing that agenda and I'm excited to see who your next guest will be in this season.
0: Thank you thank you I appreciate it. Um, yeah thank you for, for making your your I know you're you're very busy uh, uh, and I appreciate you making the time to be on the show. Uh, so grateful for you being such a huge advocate for for the profession. And I'm grateful for having you, having known you and uh, having you uh, by, uh, by the side of uh, nursing. So thank you so much uh, for thank being you. here today.
1: Thank you, Ali. It was my pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. Uh, you have been listening to uh, Mary Dickow and myself uh, talking about uh, mentorship, uh, health impact, future of nursing, uh, scope of practice, a little bit of everything. Uh, so thank you so much for listening in uh, and uh, have a great rest of your week and I look forward to bring you bringing you uh, more fantastic nurse leaders uh, in the coming episode. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Tayeb. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayip.com. That's ww.alir-ta-y-y-e-b.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair wins and following Zs.